0: Well, it's good to be back. Um, This evening, we are continuing our journey through the books of the Bible. And tonight, we come to Ezekiel. This is a very neglected book, both in the preaching of it as well as the study of of this book. And I kind of recognized that as I was preparing for tonight, but what I found is that there is so much theology in this book that is beneficial for us, for the church, for God's people. It really paints a, a high view of God, a right view of God. You see, in this book, we see the glory of God emphasized and proclaimed. We see his Attributes on display. Just to name a few His holiness, His sovereignty, His faithfulness, His love, His grace, His mercy, and His patience. We see His future plan for His people, for the nation of Israel. We see a theology of Sin in this book. We get a glimpse of the depravity of man. Man's sinfulness. We get a glimpse of the consequence of sin. So this is an important book for God's people to study and to know and to be familiar with. We can learn from the past, from the failures of the nation of Israel. And we can also learn about the future, a future of great hope, of certainty, of God's great plan for his people. Ultimately, the purpose of this book is that God's people may know that he is God, that he alone is God. My hope is that you would get a glimpse of that and that you would come and study it for yourself and and see how great, how awesome, how powerful, how loving God is. Now, before considering the book, I think it's helpful to kind of consider the context, the background as to what takes place in this book. Remember, the United Kingdom, with King David reigning, then Solomon. And then right after him, because of his sin, the kingdom split. And then hundreds of years later, because of idolatry, because of sinfulness, the nation of Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. And then a hundred years later or so, Judah fell to the Babylonians. You remember, with Judah, there was three phases in terms of their fall. The first phase happened in 605 BC with Daniel and, and others being deported to Babylon. The second phase happened in 597 with Ezekiel. And the third and final phase occurred in 586 BC with the destruction of of the Jerusalem temple with the destruction of Judah. Now, Ezekiel is a priest who is called to be a prophet by God. And he ministers following that second deportation. He was in the line of priest. And if he was still in Israel, he would have pursued that career, you could say. But in 593 B.C., God called him to be the prophet to the exiles in Babylon. He operated as God's mouthpiece for seven years before Jerusalem's destruction in 586 B.C. and then another 15 years after that. You see, he was commissioned by God to speak the word of God to those in Babylon, whether or not they listened or not. He was to be faithful in proclaiming God's word. What was Ezekiel called to proclaim? Well, that's what I want to consider as we survey this book. Two overarching messages of Ezekiel. Two overarching messages of Ezekiel. One, God's message of judgment and condemnation in chapters 1 through 33. And God's message of hope, and restoration in chapters 34 through 48. And again, the purpose of these two overarching messages is so that they and us would know that Yahweh is God, that he alone is God. And so let's consider this first message, God's message of judgment And condemnation. And as we read through this first section, we see first God's judgment proclaimed to Judah and then to the nations, to the surrounding nations. But before Ezekiel begins to proclaim this message, he's immediately bombarded with a vision from heaven. God gives Ezekiel an overwhelming vision of his glory, of his greatness. This vision conveys the transcendent glory, the holiness, the, the sovereignty of our God. And really, this vision sets up the rest of this book. It prepares Ezekiel for his Ministry. So what does Ezekiel see? Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. <clears throat> it says, Now it came about in the thirteenth year, on the fifth day of the 14th month, while I was by the river river Kabar, among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Again, Ezekiel was in Babylon by the river. At the age of thirty, and on the fifth day, in the fourth month, Ezekiel saw the heavens opened, and he saw visions of God. This is likely uh, took place around five ninety three B.C. according to scholars, based on the data given here. Now, go down to verse four. Explains what he begins to see. It says, "As I looked, behold." A storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and bright light around it. And in its midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Within it, there were figures resembling four living beings. In the, in the midst of this great storm, he saw four living creatures with wings and faces They were like humans, but different. Later we find out they were cherubim. And he continues to observe wheels, four to be exact, with eyes all over, uh, and it moved in all different directions, signifying the omniscience of God's glory, as well as uh, his presence everywhere. After seeing all this, the vision concludes with, with him seeing the glory of God, God on his throne. Look at verse 22. Now, over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. And down to verse 26. Now, above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a thro- a throne, Like Lapis Lazuli in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with an appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire. There was a radiance around him as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. There's a lot here. But what did he see? He saw a vision of the glory of God. And it was difficult for him to explain what he really saw because he used words like like or as or like the appearance of. You see, he was overwhelmed with what he was seeing and friends this is just a reminder of the uniqueness and the transcendence of our god that he's far greater than his creatures he's far greater than us there's no one like our god and this is just the visu- visible reminder of that reality And as Ezekiel saw this incredible vision, what do you think was his response? Look at verse 28. When I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. He fell straight to the ground. This is the only thing he could have done. He fell to the ground like like, as if he was dead. He was overwhelmed with the terror of God. I think he was ready. He was ready to proclaim the message of God to a people who weren't ready to listen. And, friends, that's a reminder to us. It's not about if people are going to hear us or not, it's about us being faithful to proclaim God's word. And we're not called to be prophets but we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And our responsibility is to be faithful in proclaiming God's word faithfully and trusting that God will use his word to draw his people. Now the first message that Ezekiel proclaims is a message of judgment to a rebellious and obstinate people. Though the people are in exile, under judgment, taken away from their homeland, they're going to continue to reject, God, reject God's warnings and his call to repentance. However, as I mentioned, Ezekiel was still convi- uh, commissioned to convey God's word, and he was empowered to do so by the Spirit. He was to be faithful to, just, to do just that. And so in chapters 4 through 7, we're going to survey this section. Ezekiel, Ezekiel's message is about the certainty of the judgment that is about to come. The judgment that is about to come in 586 B.C. And he will communicate this message again and again over the years. And he will do so in a variety of different ways. He will give signs of coming judgment in chapters 4 through 5 He's going to act out the coming judgment. Four signs that we see of the coming seas. Chapter five, Ezekiel is, for example, is commanded to chop off his hair. He's commanded to uh, throw a third in the air so it would be scattered. He's commanded to strike a third of the hair with the with the sword. And a third, to be thrown into the fire. This is what Israel, what Judah, will face in the judgment. And obviously there are other ways he acted out these judgments. And in chapters 6 through 7, he gives oracles proclaiming of this coming judgment. And all of these are done in dramatic fashions. I'm sure... As you've read through this, there's some interesting thing that, uh, that Ezekiel does. but it's for the purpose to, to drive home the point that judgment is coming. And these people were dead in their sins. He had to be dramatic. They had to understand the seriousness of sin the departure from God. They had gone away from God. And so he continued to proclaim the message, even to those who did not have ears to hear or eyes to see, because these people suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Then as we move forward in chapters 8 through 11, we began a, uh, began to see a further investigation done of Israel's sins, which ultimately led to the departure of God's presence. You see, what Ezekiel sees in the vision really unveiled the, some shocking things, some disturbing realities in really the heart of the nation of Israel. We come to see Israel's Sin of idolatry. Idolatry practiced in the temple, in the house of God. Look at chapter eight, verse one. It says, it came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in the house with the elders of Judah sitting before me. The hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked and behold a, a likeness as the appearance of a man from his loins and downward there. Glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by a lock by, of my head. And, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. To the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seed of idol where the seed of the idol of jealousy which provokes jealousy was located. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. In this vision, Ezekiel again sees the glory of God a year and two months later. And in the vision he is taken to Jerusalem. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, actually, excuse me, he is taken into the temple and there he sees that the presence of God is still there. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know the presence of God was vital to the temple. It's vital to the nation. It was an enormous thing. It signified God's special presence. Presence, his unique presence with his people. Remember, God's presence entered Solomon's temple in 1 Kings 8. And that was a day of rejoicing for them after the temple was constructed. As you read 1 Kings 8, the presence of God, the glory of God comes and dwells with his people. That was a prosperous time for the nation. Or fast forward to the time of Ezekiel, a few hundred years later. Things are completely different. Yes, the temple is still there, but for a few more years. And the glory of God is present, but it is about to depart. It is about to depart. And look at what God, God begins to show Ezekiel next, verse 5. <laughs> Then he said to me, son of man, raise your eyes now toward toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was this idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here, so that I would be far from my sanctuary. But yet you will see greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court and then I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. He said to me, son of man, now dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations that they are committing here. It's like it's getting worse and worse. There's false worship taking place not in their homes, rather in the house of God. You see how far they have come as a nation. You see why judgment is impending. Verse verse 10 tells us that the 70 elders were offering incense to creeping things and loathsome beasts. And what were the people saying? Verse 12, it said, he said to them, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carved images? For they say, the Lord does not see us. I guess they forgot that God is omniscient. They forgot that God is omnipresent. They forgot that the presence of God was still there. And he goes on to say, the Lord has forsaken the land. But this is not all. He continues, look at verse 13, and he said to me, yet you will see still greater abominations which they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz, This is a Babylonian God. They were engaging in worship to this false God in the temple of God. In God's house. This is pretty bad. But it continues to get worse. How can it get worse? Look at verse 16. Then he brought me into the inner court of Lord's house. And behold, at the entrance to the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east. And they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun. What do you think they were worshiping? They had their backs toward God as they were facing east to where the sun would come up. See, they were worshiping created things. Instead of worshiping their creator in the temple, they were worshiping created things shattering the Ten Commandments, specifically the first two. And they did all this while the glory of the Lord was still present in the temple. What an abomination. Again and again, they committed these abominations and provoked the Lord to anger. Lord would have been just to end them right then. But you see God's patience. You see God's patience with them. You see God's patience as He continues to call these people to repentance. Moving forward, we see that the glory of God moves in several stages and it departs from the temple. Go to chapter 10, verse 3. Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the tr- threshold of the temple and the temple was filled with the cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of God. Go down to verse 18. It says, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate Of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. Stage by stage, the glory of the Lord begins to depart throughout the temple. And then go to chapter 11, verse 22. It says Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exile in Chaldea. <clears throat> See, the glory of God, which resided in the temple, could not dwell any longer with, with people whose allegiance were elsewhere. This was the worst thing that could happen to the nation. This showed God's hatred towards their sins. And because of such abominations that they were committing, the message was that judgment was imminent. God was not being harsh. God continued to call these people to repentance, but we see the dark depravity of sin, of humanity. In the house of God, uh, these people committed spiritual adultery by worshiping creatures, by worshiping false gods. And they were doing so in the house of God. This was like committing adultery in one's own bedroom with their spouse right there. In chapter 16, Ezekiel expands on just how bad it was. He gets graphic about their adultery and and how Israel prostituted herself for this reason judgment was coming judgment was coming i want to pause for a second and make an application for us i know that we don't come and worship at a temple I know, at least I hope, that there's no one here worshiping statues or idols of created beings. But we find in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that believers of the new covenant are the temple of God. A temple where the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so when we harbor sin, when we disregard God's word, we're sinning in the same way. We're sinning as if we're in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And so, let this be a reminder to us that God takes sin seriously, and we, as His people, should take sin very seriously. We are to to, be—we are to be more and more sensitive to sin. And so, examine your heart. Paul says in that text to glorify God in your body. Glorify God with your life. And in Romans 12, 1, he says to present your bodies living sacrifice, living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Live lives pleasing to God. See, God is serious about this. And there is an application here for us. There is an application here for us. Now back to Ezekiel. Israel had acted unfaithfully. And so the glory of God departs from the temple. His protecting presence is removed. Again, it's a sign of impending judgment. Now, from chapters 12 through 24, we're not going to cover it. But Ezekiel will continue to proclaim the message of judgment, continue to call people to repentance. And he's even going to act out his messages in some interesting ways. But the message in these chapters will be that judgment will not wait for the distant future, rather, it is at hand, it is near so heed this warning and repent return to the lord take heed to what he is saying but the people did not listen and so ezekiel in ezekiel 24 ezekiel gets word that what god had been warning them about came into fruition go to 24 verse 1 Says, and the word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth of the month, saying, Son of man, write the name of the day, this very day, the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. This was around the year 588 BC, and the last phase of the fall of Jerusalem had begun. The Babylonians came or began. The siege, 18 months, began the 18-month siege of Jerusalem. And then in Ezekiel 33, verse 21, we see that the siege was completed and Judah fell. What, what God had been warning them about happened. It says in verse chapter 33, verse 21, Now in the 12th year of our exile, on the 5th of the 10th month, the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying the city has been taken. They did not heed to God's warning. They did not take it seriously. Listen, God's word is true. What he says will happen. And that's exactly what happened, literally. Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were scattered. This was the message, God's message of judgment to Judah, to Israel. Now the message of judgment is not just restricted to them. But in chapters 25 through 32, there's there's a message of judgment to the nations. You see, Yahweh is king, and he is sovereign not only over the nation of Israel, but over the entire world. The reality is that there's no place anywhere where his lordship will be disputed or where his great name will be rivaled. And so we see these judgments of the nations spelled out in these chapters, prophecies against the Gentile nations that surrounded Israel, nations such as Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, Tyre, Sidon, and Egypt. And in chapter 28, we see really Satan behind all these nations, but these nations are judged because they were in opposition to Israel, perhaps even profited from her recent destruction. And so they acted arrogantly before God. So God judged these nations, and much of this was fulfilled literally in the past. There's more I could say, but I don't have much time, so we'll move forward. So this was the first overarching message of Ezekiel. God's message of judgment and condemnation. God's message of judgment and condemnation. Well, this brings us to the second message of Ezekiel, and that is God's message of hope and restoration. God's message of hope and restoration in chapters 34 through 48. After judgment had taken place, with the fall of Jerusalem, There's really no more need for such a message. Rather, what is needed for those in exile for the remnant is hope. Likely, they thought that God was done with them, but the reality is God wasn't. There are hints of restoration in, in prior chapters sprinkled in, but Ezekiel will begin to focus on hope for the people and future restoration for them. Just as surely as judgment had come, Ezekiel proclaims that blessing and restoration will come for his people. Now keep in mind that this restoration is only because of who God is. Is. it's not because of who Israel is or what they have done rather it is because of God He is acting for his own name for his holy name listen to what he says in Ezekiel 36 verses 21 and 22 but I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. God acted in judgment for his own name, and he will act in restoring his people for his holy name. See, God made a promise to the patriarchs. He made a promise to David in the unconditional covenants to bless his people, to bless Israel. And God intends to do just that. God is going to keep his word. God is going to restore his people. And that should bring great comfort to us. Great comfort To the fact that God is faithful to his promises. Now, this restoration will begin with installing the right leadership. In chapter 34, we see strong statements made against the wicked shepherds, those who led the nation astray. See, it was their failure that led them to exile because they were seeking personal gain. They sought to feed themselves instead of the flock. They weren't leading God's people according to the righteous path that God had called them to. So as a result, these wicked shepherds were removed and they were judged. And with their removal, God promises to be their shepherd that he will set over them will we find my servant David. That is the greater David, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be their great shepherd, the true shepherd, as we find in John 10, as we find in Psalm 23. <clears throat> Listen to 30, chapter 34, verse 23. God says, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them, he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In contrast to those past wicked shepherds, the Messiah will walk in fellowship with the Lord and his reign will be characterized by righteousness and justice. He will gather his people, he will care for them, he will feed them, he will protect them as a shepherd ought to do for his sheep. This true shepherd will lead his people. And when this future restoration begins to take place, a key component of this of it will be Israel's spiritual renewal. Israel's spiritual renewal found in the latter part of Ezekiel 36. And here we find the details of the new covenant. The new covenant that God will make with Israel and the blessings that come from it. Spiritual blessings that come that you and I get to enjoy now in the church age. There will be a future fulfillment In the nation of Israel. And why is this important to Israel? See, Israel's problem was that they were spiritually dead. They were unable and unwilling to follow God. And because of that, they faced judgment. And so, what they needed was a new heart. And this is precisely what is promised here. That Israel will be given a new heart and will finally be able to be responsive to God's word, to do God's will, to observe what he has commanded. They need a new heart. And this is promised to them by God in the new covenant. Go to Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 28. There God says, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Your God promises first to forgive national Israel God promises to give them a new heart. God promises them uh, the spirit that will indwell them so that they could finally obey God's word. Friends, this is the imagery of the new birth. Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 3 as he speaks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And we are part of the new covenant, the churches. And we get to enjoy these benefits now. But this promise will take place in the future. For the people of Israel. The nation of Israel will be restored. And God will restore them. This is why Paul says all Israel will be saved. the nation of Israel, God's people, will be restored because God has promised. And then in chapter 37, a physical picture is given of this reality. The vision of the valley of dry bones. This picture depicts, again, Israel's spiritual deadness. There's no life in them, but God promises to make them alive. In Ezekiel 37, verse three, it says, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And we see that these dead dry bones come to life. God puts life into these dead bones, highlighting a spiritual reality that will happen to the nation of Israel. This is the future hope and restoration for God's people, for the nation of Israel. God will restore national Israel. God will transform them from the inside out, and they will finally fulfill God's plan for the nation. So you can imagine these people in exile under God's judgment to hear this message was encouraging that God was not done with them Now that God had a plan for them and they were still part of their plan. It gave them hope for the remnant that God would keep his word now moving forward to chapter 40 to 48, very quickly, <clears throat> Ezekiel is given a final vision of a grand temple where the glory of God was restored to the nation. According to verse 1 of chapter 40, this was given according uh, around 572 B.C., 72-71 B.C., 14 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And God proceeded to show him a vision of this great future for them. Specific dimensions of the temple are given. This was not the temple that was built after the exiles' return in 516 BC under Zerubbabel and Ezra's leadership. This is likely the temple that will be built in the millennium, in the future thousand-year reign of Christ. And that temple will surpass Solomon's temple and King Herod's temple from the past. <clears throat> and so this is a future hope that still awaits, awaits future fulfillment. And I do believe this is speaking of a literal temple that will be built. Even though there are brothers who would disagree on that. We won't get into all of that right now. <clears throat> Let me just give you two reasons why I think this will be a literal temple. One the prophecies that we find in this book, the judgments, all of that is fulfilled literally. And there's nothing in the context for us to think that this vision, this temple will not be fulfilled literally. Finally, there's specific details that are given, too specific for it to not be a literal kingdom or literal temple that is. And so because of that, I think this is a literal temple that will be built in the future. And there's more. We can talk on that. We just don't have time right now. But the purpose of this vision, again, was to highlight the fact that there will be restoration between the nation of Israel and God. And we see this finally demonstrated as the glory of the Lord that once departed In Ezekiel eight through eleven, will return and dwell amongst his people. Look at Ezekiel forty three verses through two to five. There it says, "And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many thunders, and the earth shone with his glory." And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river, river Kabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing towards the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Jump to chapter 44, verse 4. It says, Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. So here we see a promise of God's glory returning to the temple where God's people will be. And in this temple, when the Son of God reigns, his glory will be seen amongst his people, the nation of Israel. Again, a reminder to them that God was not done with them, that God had a plan for his people. This is true hope. This is true encouragement for his people. In the f- same way, those words of God and judgment were fulfilled God is saying I will fulfill this I am not done with you and so the final verse of this book is, is a fitting end look at Ezekiel 48 verse 35 <clears throat> the city shall be 18,000 cubits roundabout, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there the message proclaimed from the city will be God is with us God is with us. What a glorious future. And friends, you and I will be a part of this future with the nation of Israel if you have been born again. Jesus says in order for us to enter his kingdom, you must be born again. If you repented and believed in the gospel of Christ, then you will be part of God's kingdom. You will be part of this glorious Future. And if you haven't, my plea to you is heed the warning of judgment that will come to you in the future. Humbly come to this God who alone is God, who through Christ will reconcile you to him and restore you to him so that you will be with him forever. Come to the God. Can save as we close we've briefly surveyed this book and there's so much more that could be said but there are two overarching messages of God God's message of judgment and condemnation and God's message of hope and restoration and the purpose of Ezekiel was to reintroduce God's people to himself again and again God tells Ezekiel to give these prophecies why? That you may know that I am Lord. I am Yahweh. All the judgments, all the hope, promise in this book had that purpose. And this clause, that you may know that I am Yahweh, really points back to Exodus and to Joshua and the conquest It was repeated there again and again. And it was to reassure God's people that what he says is true and his promises are true. What he says will happen. And that's exactly where we find this book, in this book in the judgments. And we as God's people believe and must believe the future prophecies will be fulfilled. Because God keeps his word. God is faithful to his word. And he will do so for his own glory. And so let us return to this book again and again to learn from the past, as well as to look forward to the future as God fulfills his perfect plan. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this book. Thank you for your revelation. There's just so much more in this book, and I pray that you would help us to read it more and more, to study it, to, to be helped by it. Would help us to come to this book, to see your greatness, your glory to learn about your attributes, your character, to learn about your plans, to be encouraged. Help us to be challenged. Lord, as we saw how serious you take sin, help us to be sensitive to sin. As Paul says, we are the temple of God. Help us to pursue holiness and godliness and righteousness and also help us to be reminded of your future plan for your people and find comfort in that. Again, just thank you for this time. Thank you for the study. Help us to honor you in the way we live out our life, especially with what is happening in the world. Help us to hold on tightly to your word, to your promises and then find comfort in that and find hope in that Knowing that you are in control, you are sovereign, and you are accomplishing your plans and purposes, and in that we can find great comfort. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.